yo, 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 yo. You remember us? It's been a minute. We didn't forget about y'all, though. We Don't said call some... it a comeback. <laughs> been here this year, I guess. Yeah, technically. So, uh, apologize for the hiatus. Uh, we wanted to take two weeks off. Both ended up having some personal matters arise. Uh, wanted to kind of work some things out. Uh, and overall try and create a better product for you guys, the, the listeners, the consumers, um, the people that we record this podcast for, right? Then that's going to be all you sports fanatics. So, um, you know, I know it's been a little while, but we're back. We got some good stuff for you guys. And, uh, yeah, we're ready to hit it. So, um we're going to jump in a little bit uh, to the offseason. Billy and I talked about this a lot during the season. Um, the offseason is a very, very, very exciting time in the NFL. So many things change. You have a 30% turnover rate, roster over roster. Um, just the overall uh, incoming draft class every year, free agency. There's so many moving parts, um, and it's a lot to consume, but it's really what helps shape the upcoming season, don't you think? Yeah, it's really it's really a fun time for me. Like, like we've done all season, you know, we sit there and we do the what if game, which is always fun. It's just playing the hypotheticals is always a good time, and I love just to sit here and try to think of everything I can that could possibly happen and tinker around with teams and rosters and play fantasy GM. It's always a fun time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean. I think that's what what most of us are doing, and at least at this stage, right, um, is is just kind of telling you what we see from analyzing the game. I mean, we we watch a lot of film, probably more uh, games and time spent than than the average person does, and, and we think that we have a a good hold on on what's going on. So uh, we try and relay that to you in an in an honest and sometimes biased manner. We're gonna shoot you guys straight. <laughs> Uh, but, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I think, I think we do a pretty good job. Yeah. I don't ever feel like I'm better than most GMs except for John Elway. That's like the <laughs> one guy where I'm like, I'm pretty sure I can do a better job than him. <laughs> um, oh, watch, John. Watching that guy work every off season is kind of like, yeah, you know what? I think I should throw my hat in the ring, you know, just try to get in here and do this. <laughs> Got a lot of money to play with this offseason. Yeah, we'll see man. if he uh, we'll see if he uh, gets in into a bidding war anywhere. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. So one of the things that we want to do, obviously, is talk about uh, some of the most our personal interests in this offseason. Some of the things that we've been thinking about, looking at, and trying to break down in our heads, and kind of what is kind of getting us intrigued and excited for this offseason. So we both came up with uh, three three things that we're personally interested in. And uh, we want to really focus on our big points, but there are some other things, players, draft-wise, that we are also interested in it as well. Yeah, a- absolutely. I mean, like we said, there's so many moving parts. There's always something going on. And, you know, we're, we're trying to play chess, not checkers here. You know, we're trying to think a couple moves ahead if, you know, what's the repercussions of this happening versus this happening, or if the chips fall this way or the cards lay this way. You know, there's so many different things um, that could move around. So um, kind of jumping into it, what what was the first thing that, that you had 
excited you this off season that, that you were really, really looking into and delving deep, uh, trying to kind of figure out what's coming up. My first thing that I'm interested in is uh, Anthony Harris, free agent safety from Minnesota. Uh, very underrated player. Doesn't get a lot of hype. Uh, I personally think that he's a top 10 free agent this offseason. And it's going to be interesting to see where he goes and what kind of money he gets. I've kind of felt like safeties have been underrated most like recently. Like the fact that Trey Boston hits the market like every year consecutively now is kind of weird. Then you had safeties like Tyron Matthew who's you know playing for his third team now in Kansas City which is weird. Um, and then the courtship of Earl Thomas wasn't as spectacular as it should be. So it's going to be interesting to see a player like Harris now enter free agency who doesn't have the hype like, you know, like a Matthew or a Thomas. So it's kind of interesting to see. I think he could really help out a team that's very safety needed. Um, I personally think that he's going to end up in Oakland. Just uh, their defensive coordinator is Paul Gunther. He's been a long time in Cincinnati with Mike Zimmer. Right. There's the connection there, but it's going to be interesting to see what kind of money he gets, and just as I'm really intrigued on who goes after him, um, I don't know how many teams are going to try to go after him. I don't know who's in play. Um, I would imagine anybody needing a safety with the cap space would try to make a move, but you never know. Um, some teams might try to play it cheap, and might not make a move towards him. Uh, he's a very underrated player. Just a really great safety. Uh, Spent a lot of time playing in the boxes here, which he beforehand he could show that he could roam and everything like that. But now he's showed the versatility of himself lining up in the nickel, playing in the box. Uh, just an all-around good safety. I think it would be interesting to see him in Oakland, you know, and basically take over that role that they thought that Carl Joseph would have fulfilled, but never came to be. So that's. Probably like the third thing that I'm most interested in, just to see where he can set that safety market at. Well, yeah, I mean, in in terms of safeties, I think I actually think your safety, Kevin Byard, broke uh, the record when he signed for like 14.1 million a year <clears throat> last season. Um, in terms of you know monetary ranking, I think it was uh, Bayard, Matthew, and then Landon Collins, all right at the fourteen and just above Mark. Yeah, we're just basically just waiting for Adams to break it now. Right, exactly. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see where you know where he kind of lands for for what money he lands, especially when you look at the counterparts of the defensive back market when you're talking about. People are talking about Byron Jones getting $18.5 million a year on the open market this year. <clears throat> so, I mean, granted, I I don't know. Do you think a corner does more work on the field? You know, you know, he's he's covering the number one. He's chasing all night. And, you know, safeties do their part. You know, they're up. You know, they're crowding the line. They, they run their blitz or they're back in coverage headhunting. Yeah. But at the same time, I mean, I... When you have a great safety, it's really nice to have guys yeah. like Derwin James, game Jamal changing. Adam, game changers. You know, but when you have middling safeties, you know, somebody like a Trey Boston, for instance, it's kind of, you know, it's justified why you don't go all in on guys like that. But I feel like safeties are just kind of undervalued, and it doesn't really make sense now. Yeah, like I mean, they're kind of like take it for granted unless they're like fully on the you know like generational talents. Oh, and um, let me see here. I uh, I stand corrected. Uh, Spot Rack actually has uh, Eddie Jackson as your highest ranked or highest paid 
safety in the league hmm. uh, at 14-6. Uh, so it's 14-6 and then 14-1 and then a tie for 14 with Collins and Matthew. So hmm. those are your top paid safeties in the league. So it'll be interesting to see. Crazy. I mean, I would imagine that he would. he's going to have to break the bank because I think that he is easily – I know he's a top 10 safety. So, of course, with him now coming open, he's going to get the highest paid. Basically, he should be the highest paid until Jamal Adams gets his. Which I think is in two years, isn't it? Because they'll, they'll franchise him one year. I don't know. It really depends on what they do. I think they can start actually start negotiating with him now, can't they? Uh, can and will, probably two different things. I'm yeah. sure. Because you can after the second year, right? Yeah. Well. So they, they can It'll negotiate, but they probably will not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's the, the Jets, It's bro. the Jets. Uh, speaking of, though, I mean, you mentioned you think he's a, he's a top 10 safety um, in the league. <clears throat> it's, it's a really broad range uh, monetarily. Uh, the number 10... Highest paid safety in the league is Adrian Amos at at nine million flat. So I mean he should easily catapult into the top ten, um, and if he makes anything north of <laughs> what the Broncos paid Kareem Jackson eleven million a year, um, you know he'll he'll be knocking on the door of top five money. So I mean yes, I think you're right. There's a market shift coming, a market reset coming. So, it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out where he lands. What would you have to start off with your interests? So, So, the first thing that I really started eyeing, um, and actually it wasn't the first thing. It was, uh, I was struggling to come up with picking one. And this this popped up and really just kind of rang true with, not rang true, but intrigued me. And it started with the Redskins draft pick. And then turned into... Uh... This is fun. The Redskins quarterback situation. Um, Listening to Ron Rivera, uh, he is given high praise of his inherited quarterback, Dwayne Haskins. But he's also shown the reservation. Um, and, And as you heard, I used the word inherited because... Ron Rivera inherited Dwayne Haskins. He did not draft him. And you and I talked about it in the middle of the season that sometimes coaches and GMs, if they're not on the same page with their guy, will move on. I feel like like I've heard this story before. I I think we saw this, and and I think Billy pointed this out, and I'm going to toot your own horn for a second here, but verbatim it was i think we're seeing a shift in culture where teams will cut bait sooner rather than later on quarterbacks that they can tell are not the franchise guy or have better option at and they will move on before the four-year contract and we saw that in arizona with josh rosen and then being replaced with kyler murray and so Here's the weird thing, and, and, you know, people see where this is going to, but it's deeper than that, right? So, yes, Dwayne Haskins is the starter in Washington as of right now today. But what about when Colt McCoy's healthy? Exactly. He played decent football. Can 
Alex Smith ever come back to a football field because Alex Smith is a really good quarterback. I mean, really good. I'm not going to call him great, but he's a really good quarterback. He puts teams he's in solid. good. He's a, he's a solid decision-making quarterback. He's a good game manager. But the word that's starting to break free is that the Washington Redskins, after getting clear medicals, think that Tua Tagvaiola might be a better quarterback over the next 10 years than Dwayne Haskins. And that throws a big monkey wrench in things. If Washington wants to pull an Arizona Cardinals, cut bait, and take Tua. So what the hell is going to happen in Washington? I don't know. So I'm intrigued. That's one of the things that caught my eye. (laughs) Because Chase Young, I mean, if, if Chase Young doesn't go two... Does Detroit take him at three, or do they trade back, or do we see someone trade up and then you get the overreaction and all of a sudden, before the fifth pick, you've got four quarterbacks off the board? So it's basically like like the whole thing that, um, which I mentioned to you, is like the whole, like, just pure chaos ensuing, and just quarterbacks take over the first four picks of the draft, and then next thing you know... My man, Riverboat Ron... <clears throat> Ron Rivera, Riverboat Ron, said it the best. He can only act on what's in front of him. And right now, that's just the Cincinnati Bengals. And we all think they're going Burrow, but no one knows until that pick comes in. So Ron can't unequivocally say, yeah, Chase is my guy, because what if Cincinnati flips the script? And chases their guy. Their guy. <laughs> and now Ron Rivera's left with Joe Burrow on the table. Or, you know what I mean? There's so many. So right now, that number two pick is is really a big, a big domino yeah. in the upcoming draft. So I'll be keeping an eye on that. Yeah, I would. <clears throat> I'll die laughing if they just end up just picking Tua. <laughs> I do, I, yeah, now, now hear me out. As a GM... I'm not making that decision. No. I'm not taking Tua at Tua. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Took me a week to write that, guys. I'm serious. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'll be here all night. Uh... Here all night. So, with that, though, comes comes the second part of of my off-season intrigue. And what started as like a, oh, wow, this could be interesting, the deeper I look has turned into a, holy shit, this could get wild. <laughs> and uh, and that's free agency as a whole. Uh, there's, there's so much going on that that could or could not happen or take place that creates a, a catalyst of, of change and so many things start to happen, right? So, I mean, one of those first things is you've, you've got a strong wide receiver free agency class coming, but what if Dallas franchise tags Dak Prescott and Amari Cooper tests free agency? Randall Cobb's a free agent too, but maybe Randall wants to stay in Dallas because Mike McCarthy's there now. 
right? Or with the quarterback position, which we've been talking about for a long time, there are more talented starting free agent quarterbacks this season than there are available starting quarterback jobs in the NFL. So how's that going to shake out? Because we're going to have four quarterbacks drafted in the first round this year. Not to mention seven or eight different free agent quarterbacks signing contracts with the expectation of being starters. Somebody's losing their job. Multiple people are losing their jobs. Yes. It is going to happen. You might see on your topic of quarterbacks and teams cutting bait, you might see the Jacksonville Jaguars not only cut bait and move on from Nick Foles, take the salary dump, give up what they have to to try and get as much back, and then move on from Gardner Minshew also. You think? You might. You if the, if the draft falls that way and the overreaction of quarterbacks happens like always does, somebody's going to freak the fuck out. <laughs> so there's, I mean, it's I, now, do I think that's going to happen? No. But is it in the realm of possibility of what could happen? Absolutely. It's like you have to prepare yourself. You're talking for about it. a team that two years ago was one quarter away from beating the Patriots to go to the Super Bowl. And it are currently looking at taking a page out of the Miami Dolphins book and tearing the whole thing down this season to start over. Two years ago, we're a Super Bowl contending team. And I know this because they knocked my team out of the fucking playoffs. And they blew it all. So it's just, with, with the quarterback market, it's crazy. With the wide receivers that could be available, it's crazy. I mean, we hear that A.J. Green is probably going to get franchise tagged. Fine. Ugh. Right. Whatever. It made me so I aggravated. Know. That's unfortunate. That's just Cincinnati should do him a solid and let him go no. test the market. Man. Yes. Let the guy go win some games. Uh, the DB market, like we just talked a bit, is going to get fucking paid. Byron Jones, almost $19 million a year, possibly, we're talking. That's craziness. Chris Harris Jr., where's he going to go? What's he going to make? <laughs> Denver makes a trade for, you know, A.J. AJ Bouye, which, in my opinion, was actually a good trade. They gave up a fourth for a guy that two years ago was an, an all-star Pro Bowl player, you know? Yeah, I mean, he's one of those guys that's, you know, not one of your great ones, but he's a solid He's a one, worker. You know? He's got a high motor. So, um, and then, yeah, <laughs> like you mentioned, the, the D-line market in free agency is, you know, yes, Chandler Jones is probably going to get paid in Kansas City. Chris Jones. Yeah, sorry. Chris Jones, Chandler Jones. Uh, Chris Jones, uh, probably going to get paid. And uh, Ngakwe says, <laughs> you know, he doesn't want to sign or stay in Jacksonville, but they're going to probably franchise tag him. For nineteen million a year, so or not? Just get like a repeat of the clowny situation. Right, exactly. Speaking of clowny, clowny's, clowny's a free agent. He's on the market. There's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of good D linemen out there. So this, I mean, we've been talking about it for a while. This has been notated as probably the best wide receiver draft class, at least in the common era. Um, 
but this might be one of the best free agent classes we've seen too. Um, a really weird time in in the NFL to have so much fluctuation going on, um, and it has caught my attention. That's an interesting thing, though, is because with this free agent market, you know, with the wide receivers in general, it I won. I wonder how teams play it, knowing what the draft is like with the wide receiver class that's coming into the draft. You know, are, do some teams be more hesitant in spinning on wide receiver free agents? Do some teams, you know, value more for, you know, veterans? It'll be, uh, be pretty interesting to see how teams play that. Um, it's a loaded free agent class and just the fact of how many quarterbacks could possibly hit the market or and are going to hit the market even guys like Mariota for instance are still have some kind of intrigue and they could still bring something to a team and then just I mean not even with just the free agents you have Andy Dalton floating around there in trades who's most likely going to be traded hopefully to Chicago <laughs> please this needs to happen for me <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, I mean, we didn't even mention the running back market in free agency. What could uh, be? It could be right. I mean, Melvin Gordon could be on the market. Probably is on the market. I mean, King Henry is probably going to get paid. And and here to me, the only reason I didn't mention the running back free free agent class. Do you know why? Because you don't pay running backs. You don't pay you don't running fucking backs. Fucking pay them. Stop paying running backs. So that's why I didn't mention them. But there are a lot of the top-rated running backs from last season on the market. Whether or not they get tagged, paid, what have you, there's a chance for some really good players to shift around. I think they should make it where running back contracts don't count against the cap. <laughs> No, I think they should count double against the cap. Then, oh, then people would right. start paying running backs what they're worth. You know, because like, then I wouldn't have a problem with paying running backs. It's like, yeah, he has no effect on the team contract. Right. Why? <laughs> well, so and here's my thing. Here's here's my point with it. You're, you're talking how teams strategize with free agency and an upcoming draft. Um, now, again, I've never ran an NFL franchise. However, if I were... Um, I've played a shit ton of Madden. <laughs> dude, I ran so many franchise modes on Madden. Oh, weird. Was that a name plug? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, my thoughts on it. It's it's okay to be bullish on wide receivers. I think you need to be weary of offensive linemen on the market. Jack, teams, <laughs> Jack Auckland. Teams pay <clears throat> linemen that perform um, or that are... Healthy. <laughs> I mean, they really do. If if you can play a strong game and you show up, if you're decent at as an offensive lineman, like you're getting paid, which is why subsequently Garrett Bowles will be the starting left tackle in Denver this year. Uh, but <laughs> free agency, you bullish on receivers, um, hesitant on linemen, and absolutely resistant on running backs. Don't pay a running back. Go D- draft. Don't do it. Go draft him. You're talking about getting guys like Clyde, uh, Clyde Alaire from LSU, who has like a third to fifth round projection, but he's like a he's like the number six ranked running back, yeah. right? Like, 
Go get a guy like that who's 5'9", 225, and can run the rock, yep. and watch him put up 1,000, 1,100, 1,200 yards, some pass-catching ability out of the back, and you get the production that you need to be able to open up the what? Oh, that's right, the passing game, because this is an air attack league right now. Yeah, it's mean, all about passing stats. Guys like Zach Moss, you know, J.K. Dot, like there's, it's not like it's hard to find a running back in the draft. It is the easiest position to replenish. There are running backs aplenty, always and forever. Yes. Do not pay them. You stop that. Correct. But, so, when you look forward to the draft as a team, you know, those are some things that that first pop into mind, right? Like, okay, a guy like A.J. Green is potentially available on the market. Great. I'm going to turn my eye at that. A guy like Amari Cooper at 27 years old, on the market, I got some interest in that. Emmanuel Sanders. Right, Emmanuel Sanders. Even at 30, just played in a Super Bowl, I'd bring you in for a year or two to take a peek, right? Now, a guy like Randall Cobb, you sit your ass down in Dallas, you take whatever money they give you, and you just play some ball. Cause <laughs> just, you just be happy that you're here at this point. <laughs> your market is dwindling. Um... <laughs> Um, I'm just saying, okay? Um, but you should always go into it with the mindset of like, hey man, I don't, free agency should just be changed to let's overpay for positions. Um, because that's all it is. Guys go on the market. So-and-so last year reset it that it's 15 and now you got to pay some guy that is probably a $9 million a year guy. you got to pay him 14 and a half to even get in the ballpark of him looking towards your contract. Yeah. So you, you notoriously and historically overpay in free agency. So don't freak out, right? If the guy you want is like, yo, it's $16 million a year or I'm not coming, great. Yeah. Have fun in Detroit. See you later, dude. Go <laughs> over there, take that money. And I'm going to go draft a kid at your position, and we'll see you, uh, you know, next year when you're watching us in the playoffs. Whatever, right? Um, always think of it with the mindset of, if I miss out on this guy, I'm going to buy some talent that I can groom up, right? I'm gonna, I'll am gonna, i have a guy that can get there. Yeah, I would agree with that. <clears throat> It'll really be interesting to see how some of these teams play it. Yeah. Man, I just can't believe how many names are out there. It's insane. I mean... You're talking, there's probably, if it all shakes out, you've got over 30 names that are starting talents that are free agents starting March 18th. And like a normal free agency class, like we would be really focused on guys like Teddy Bridgewater, and that would be the hugest storyline, but now that we have guys like Tom Brady... In this mix, Philip Rivers. Philip Rivers. It's just, it's insane. It really is. Yeah. yeah just, I mean, we talked about Teddy Bridgewater getting to be one of the highest paid, paid free agents and yeah. quarterbacks. You know, not not year over year salary, but in terms of free agent signing a contract, he was top of the list, twenty three to twenty six million a year, and now, oh shit. Breeze, Brady, and Rivers all have to get paid before I do. <laughs> there goes your whole job market. Teddy. In a normal free agency class, like we're talking about, you know, Teddy Bridge. 
nothing. It's just flew. It's just basically been under the radar this entire time. In a normal free agency class, we are talking about teams bidding on players versus what you have currently with players choosing teams. teams. <laughs> like they have their pick of the litter. All the teams are gawking, and they're in control here. They're in the driver's seat. It's a it's an interesting offseason. So, those are my uh, two. Quick topics for the offseason. What's your second one? Uh, my second one is the, obviously, which has been the buzz around this whole draft, is the wide receiver class that's incoming. Yeah. Uh, not so much the top guys, because the top guys are the top guys. You know, your C.D. Lambs and Jerry Judys. But guys, I mean, even guys like Van Jefferson and Justin Jefferson, Chase Claypool, Jalen Rigor, you know, Denzel Mims. There's just guys everywhere where you could... Fine quality starters in the second and third rounds. I believe, like, I've seen Kuiper has, like, 25 or 27 wide receivers he's graded within the first three rounds. He's got seven in his first round, round. which would tie the common era record for receivers in the first round. It's just, it's insanity. So, it's just, it, it, just how teams are going to draft because of that. I mean, like, thanks to Visca's, you know, medical now, I mean, he's projected to go in the second round, which is insane somebody with that much talent just because of how deep this class is is still is going to drop to a whole nother round when he's obviously a first round talent it's you're insane. talking a guy that at some point was touted as a top 13 pick, pick. in the draft and now he's not even going to be in the top 32 yeah it's nuts like you could literally like try to double down and pick like two or three guys from this draft and like basically your offensive set could be set for the years. And it's like there's so you can take so many chances at wide receiver. I feel like this is the year where it's like you double and triple down on wide receivers. Especially since it's a position where I mean, you have guys like Devontae Parker taking until their fifth year to finally break out. It's not yep. an easy position. Guys like uh Rashad Perriman finally breaking, you know. Obviously, it's it's a really hit or miss position, and it's very hard for players to get the, to make that transition from college to the NFL. And with how many good and quality prospects there are, you might as well take as many chops at the tree as you can. Why not? You know, I'd rather you know draft three guys and hit on one of them than draft one guy and miss on them. It's you're. The odds are just more stacked up in your favor, you know? Right. Well, and that's the crazy thing. I mean, I wanted to touch on Mims real quick because Mims was a a guy that was like a day three prospect. And after the combine, I've seen him as as high as nine on draft boards. I mean, skyrocketed value for this guy. Now, here, here's a question for you, though, and, and I think you and I have talked a little bit about this, but it, it, I think it, it pertains pretty well to this conversation here. Historically speaking, do you have a better chance of getting a, I don't know if you want to call him franchise wide receiver, right? Uh, your guy, right? A go-to receiver. Um, do you have a better chance of getting him in the first round or in the second and beyond? Second and beyond. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, we can just go to we can just go to last year. Best wide receiver in the draft class is AJ Brown, second round. You also have DK who went in the fourth. Mm-hmm. So I mean, look at the. To some people, Michael Thomas is the best wide receiver in the league. Yep, taken in the second round. Multiple wide receivers taken before him. So I mean, you could you could run down the list of number one receivers on each team 
and a majority of them were not first round picks. Yeah. I mean, I don't remember who it was. Somebody had mentioned dating back to 2012, you have one elite receiver drafted in the first round. One since 2012. And it was DeAndre Hopkins. But the rest of them, if I were to run down the list, and I, I wish I had it with me, I'll find it. If I were to run down the list, you would say, with with first-round draft picks for wide receiver, you would say, who the fuck is that guy? Because most of them aren't even in the league. Yeah. I mean, 2014 is the last great wide receiver class. And, I mean, we did have guys like Odell and Mike Evans taken in that class. Who are good. Who are good. They're Maybe borderline great, but they're not elite. Elite. Exactly. I mean, Sammy Watkins was the first wide receiver drafted in that class, just to put that in perspective. Right. So, teams whiff on the position. For some reason, It's it just happens where these guys like, like a Sammy Watkins that we think are upper echelon and at the top usually don't pan out most of the time and you have the guys in the second round or later on in the you know in the first that succeed and play a lot better than those ones taken before them so it'll be interesting because i mean even with guys like cd lamb there's you know there's still some kind of question marks about him and his route running ability or jerry judy and his size so it's gonna be really interesting. I I would be willing, more willing to gamble on, you know, taking like I said, two or three wide receivers in the later rounds. Like Denver, for instance. Everybody, you know, you look at a ton of mock drafts for Denver, and most people have rugs pinned to them. Which I said to you, you know, they have three third round picks. Why not? Just double down and in the second round, take one wide receiver in the third round with your first pick. Just take another one and just double down on it. And then with your first pick, you know, go for a position that you actually need, like an offensive lineman. Indianapolis is another team, which I'll touch on later. But, uh, you know, it's a team where people have them, you know, pegging them to get more weapons on offense when they also have other needs around their roster where they could also wait. I mean, they have, they have the second pick in the second round. They could get a wide receiver then. Right. You know, people keep expecting them to draft a wide receiver in the first when there's so many quality guys in the second and third. You might as you know, you can wait. If you have a position of need on an, you know, and that position of need is higher than wide receiver or about the same as wide receiver, and that guy's sitting there in the first, you might as well go with the opposite, you know, with the other position and then try to address the wide receiver later on because you can – you can still find somebody there. I just, you know, I get the quality guys are the quality guys, but still, if you can, you know, try to get the same kind of production from that one guy from two other people that you can get later on in the draft, you might as well just take the two others. Right. And address other areas of need on your roster. There's a few teams that I believe, you know, guaranteed need wide receivers early and often. Somebody like Philly, Buffalo our teams that need to address those positions. But there's teams like a Denver, you know, where it's like, yeah, it's a position to need, but there's also other things that they really need to address too. So why not just wait? Right. When you have a class this deep, just wait it out. Well, and like, I mean, I'll break into it a little bit later, but like you mentioned with the Broncos, you have 12 draft picks. Like there's no way in hell you're going to draft 
12 players and retain them on your roster. So use some of that capital. And maybe what you need to do is go from 15 into the top 10, 10. get your offensive linemen, and then if you have to, you still have probably three picks left in the top 100. You could almost assuredly move yourself back into the late first, early second, mm-hmm. and get the receiver. A it's receiver. Sad, he yeah. might not be the receiver. He will be a receiver that can do exactly what you need opposite Cortland Sutton. Yeah. There's, you can just take so many chances at this position. Right. I just I wouldn't just blow your load immediately. Yeah, now Philly taking the receiver makes sense, though, because they're going to address their secondary in the, in the free agent market. Chris Harris, I I'm still on the Chris Harris cheer, train. He's probably going to go to Philly. Um, yeah, and so, I mean, Jesus. Philadelphia didn't have a receiver that even wanted to try and catch a ball last season, so... They're begging for somebody. Them <laughs> had hands. Right. Like, I mean, their leading receiver was ended up being Miles Sanders. It was just ridiculous. Like, yeah. Yeah. So that's you know that's a team that needs to take that needs to take a shot at it. But some teams they can just wait. Right. Which that brings me to the last thing and my most interesting thing of the off season, which I touched on the Bills. Who's a team that has like eighty million in cap space, right? Yep. But we expect them to just ball out of control. They think that they're there, they're gonna ball out of control. They're gonna spend like crazy. <laughs> Probably about eighty million dollars. Yeah. But the team that I find the most interesting with a lot of cap space is the Colts, the Indianapolis Colts. They are a team that feels like they're on the verge. I mean, we had them picked for the AFC South at one point last year. Two years ago when they had Andrew Luck, they made the playoffs and beat the Texans. Got to the, got to the divisional round. It's a good roster. They draft well. They are a well ran organization. And they feel like they're on the cusp of the playoffs again. They feel like they could make a run. And they have eighty million dollars in cap space. So what I find intriguing is I feel like what they do in free agency will be like a big telling on how they feel about their self. I feel like if they go crazy in free agency, they feel like they're almost there and that they can make a serious run. I feel like if they play it conservative, which they had all this cap space last year too, they didn't do shit with it. So I feel like if they go conservative again, then you could see them, you know, thinking that they're making strides, but they're not there yet. Right. So with Indy, one of the biggest rumors that we've heard so far is basically like Phillip Rivers is just a shoe in to get the position and to sign there. Which I don't honestly, I honestly don't understand. Um, that's kind of a move to win now, but at the same time, I just don't see it. So we got through twenty three fucking interceptions last year. Twenty three. Now one of the biggest problems for Indianapolis is that they were lacking pass catchers. A lot of people got hurt. Basically, when T. Y. Hilton left and got hurt, their whole offense just tanked. But. Correct. Bursette was still solid. It wasn't like he was just fucking turning over the ball every chance that he could. Like Phillip Rivers, who was playing with Austin Eckler and Keenan Allen and Mike uh, Mike Williams and Hunter Henry when he came back. So it wasn't like Rivers had a complete lack of work. Especially when you're comparing it to the Colts offense, you're going to take the Chargers offense every time with those playmakers. Now, a lot of the people on the Chargers were in and out, but at the same time, it wasn't as bad as Indianapolis. So you're going to turn over that, like... You're really going to turn it over to that? 
if this is Rivers like three years ago, I'm like, yeah, go all in on it. But Rivers at this stage of his career, I don't see as much as an upgrade. I feel like you should just stick it out with Brissett, get more pass catchers in there, and rule with that. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it should be noted that the reason we're having this conversation about Indy potentially looking at quarterbacks, aside from the fact that there are available legends, right, um, is Brissett's play when he came back from that knee injury. injury. He played really, really bad. He just didn't look the same. And I don't know if it's because he just wasn't 100% and he just wanted to kind of give that effort and show the team, you know, like, hey, I'm going to rally for you guys with everything going on with Andrew Luck and, and X, Y, Z. But the long and short of it is he did not play well when he returned from injury, and that is why the Indianapolis Colts are even questioning making this change because when Andrew Luck retired, Jacoby Brissett got a contract Trans- extension. extension. So... You the gave facts, him the faith to give him an extension. You might have like lay the facts on the table. Last year in in September, Indianapolis anticipated Jacoby being the guy, and they paid him. And just, here we are, sixteen, you know, seventeen, twenty weeks later. I just don't feel comfortable with saying that like Rivers is the guy. I mean, this team beat this team beat the Chiefs in Kansas City. This team beat the Chiefs. They were in the lead for the South. And then that knee injury happens against Pittsburgh and just the whole season just... I think Indianapolis' largest deficiency currently is the secondary. Yes. Their secondary got just (laughs) rug burned up and down the field all season. And And that comes from a team that, I mean, a season before in 2018, we called elite during Darius Leonard's rookie season because they balled out of control... And, I mean, the wagon wheels fell off for that secondary last year. Because their offense was efficient enough that they could have competed. They were in, I mean, I I think at one point when, at one point they had like 90% of their games were decided by seven points or less. They were in every game. Their defense just kept getting yeah. fucking burned, dude. It's just crazy, and so it's just, and that's one of the things that I say is that I think their biggest problems are outside skill positions on offense and defense, and that's what it is. Correct. They definitely need another playmaker. I mean, I don't even know that I call Ty a playmaker anymore. He's just had some. He is when he's on the field, but correct. How often when he's are on you the going field. to get him on the field? And that's right. the thing. So yeah, no, I think that's a I think that's a great analysis. The outside playmakers at skill positions, positions. severely lack. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see what they do with this cap space in the draft combined. I mean, they could still they could still go all in in this season and make a couple moves to set themselves up for the future. Yeah, like so they're sitting there with the 13th pick in the draft, right? They can easily you know everybody has like Jerry Judy going there or something. They could easily pick one of these tackles. And have him as their future tackle when Costanzo retires. I mean, he's 30 years old. It's getting time. Yep. Well, so when you have Anthony Costanzo retire, you know, you pick your left tackle right there. You have your future. They have the second pick in the second round. They yep. could easily go Visca or whatever wide receiver they want to. Whatever guy slipped. Slipped Oh, my God. Can't believe he didn't get taken. Go there. (laughs) Go double down again in the third round and see if there's another guy you want there. And then you can just ball out of control in the offseason in the free agency market. Maybe sign a guy like Clowney and Chris Harris. 
you know, they do need a little bit of help on that defensive line. Or you could just try to double down on cornerbacks and go really fucking crazy and just go Byron Jones and Chris Harris if you want to. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. I mean, they could make moves like that, and I would take them as a serious contender. But it just really depends on how they feel. Because they might not want to make moves that insane and just go their same route, stick with the draft pick, wait till this offseason after this, and then go all in and, you know, try to see what they can do then. I mean... They have so many moves and options, it's insane. Well, and we won't be able to really grade it until, you know, like OTAs show up when we've seen how they drafted, how they've spent their money, because at that point you're going to be able to gauge their confidence level. If they go out, they, I mean, just kill the draft, they'd spend $75 million in cap space. Yeah. They that tells you that the Indianapolis Colts are like we're here, we're mm-hmm. there, we are a contending team, and that's why they did it. Now, if they go out and they, you know, they still kill the draft, but they spend like you know forty, fifty million, million. then you can that tell they're like, shows. okay, we don't want to blow it all. We'll try and roll over some cap space because we know next year, you know. Trevor Lawrence is going to be available in the draft. We know that the you know such and such free agents are coming available. Um, you'll really kind of be able to tell their confidence level yep. by how they spend money this offseason. I know that's so weird, but if they spend money, you can tell they're in. See, like there's a scene there. That's another thing. There's another scenario where it's like. Let's say somehow, some which I don't think this is going to happen with the way that he played in the Senior Bowl, but somebody like Herbert falls there at 13, and they pick Herbert. Then you ship off Brissett and free up Brissett's money. That creates even more cap space. So then we got the whole going in on a rookie contract thing. So then you're setting yourself up with the future, and you're trying to win in that four-year, you know, five-year window right. on a cheap contract. There's so many moves. Yep. It's just... It's really fun for me to entertain. It's also sad and depressing at the same time, knowing <laughs> that this team plays in my fucking division. Yeah. And I'd have to see them twice a year. But what Chris Ballard has done there in Indianapolis has been very intriguing. And I just salute him for being a great GM, especially to see what they came off with the regime before. What Chris Ballard has done has been great. And to see what they're going to do in the future is going to be very intriguing. And it's going to see how they, just seeing how they perceive themselves, whether they think that they are a contender now or if they still think that they are in the process of building is going to be very interesting. Yeah. I mean, like, like you said, definitely props, props to Chris Ballard because doing what he's done, um, in the first place isn't easy. Uh, but when your boss is a drunk, it's even harder. So, uh, props to you for having the ability to, uh, refrain, um and uh, and really kind of right the ship because he's done gr- great work, great work. Great. So what do you got on tap? So <laughs> my top rated thing for this off season uh, is very similar uh, in regards to yours. Uh, it involves a team as a whole, uh, an entire organization's off season. Um, and it's one that I don't personally. I don't, I try and stay away from it, uh, but it is our local home team. Uh, it is the Denver Broncos offseason, um, and it's, <laughs> it's intriguing. It's one that we have to fucking hear about it's, so and Right, so much. it's literally just been breathed 
and screamed and yelled in my face so much that um, I really just decided to kind of do a, a deep dive on it. And there's actually a lot of intriguing working parts to it. Um, the, I mean, we'll put it out there. The Denver Broncos are, everyone in the AFC West is chasing the Chiefs, right? Yeah. At best, if you play in the AFC West, you're shooting for a wild card spot currently, right? So, with that in mind, as a 7-9 and nine team, I'm looking at it as you need to gain two wins at a minimum to even put yourself in contention for a wild card spot. So Drew Locke's a good start. He showed some good swagger, right? But the amount of things going on within this organization um, are just, it's a lot to take in, man. And, and, and even more so, like, even if you get outside of the business aspect and, and look at the, the Bolin family with the ownership concern going on and... I mean, could you imagine every day showing up to work wondering, like, dude, are we going to get, you know, bought and relocated or sold or, like, you know what I mean? Like, so it, it can't be it's easy. There's been a lot an going upper on. echelon franchise when it comes to ownership and to possibly have that in jeopardy is it's a scary time. The fall from grace yeah. has, has not been good. Um, however, as, as a business, right, as an operating organization – they have made some good strides, and they have some room um, and ability to grow on that. And so, speaking on cap space, as it stands right now, they got about 60.7 in cap, um, which is good money. I think it puts them in like the top 12 or f- something like that, top 12 or top 14. You can definitely do something with it. Right. Um, but it gets better for Denver, actually. So they're at 61 right now, we'll call it. Um, when, hear me when I say when they cut Joe Flacco, they'll save $10 million in cap. little over 10 How much of a dead cap hit does he have? Uh, because of that restructure that he had. Yeah, I want to say it's 13 Okay. 13 dead. But they'll still free up 10 in cap, which gets you in the right direction. Uh, and then with uh, R- Ronald Leary, when they part ways with him, because they probably are, uh, they'll save another eight and a half in cap. So now they're sitting at about seventy nine and change. So they're right at the eighty million dollar cap space mark. Hold on, I got one point that I just want to stop you at. Why is nobody buzzing about this Joe Flacco being added to this sweet quarterback class? I think people think Joe's done. Oh man, I'm telling you. It's a that's just a that's the prized possession of this class. I think I'll make your head spin when I tell you uh who I think will end up replacing. Flacco is the backup quarterback in Denver, but uh, we'll get to that. Yeah, but now you got me on that. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, So they have the ability to get to about $80 in cap space, right where your Indianapolis Colts are, right where the Buffalo Bills are. They have the ability to really ball out and spend in this market, which is a good thing. On top of the $80 they have to spend, they have 12 draft picks. Well, now 11 with the A.J. Bouye trade, sending the fourth. Um, they've got 11 picks this year. So they have five of those picks in the top 100 in the first three rounds. Yeah. They got the three threes. Three threes, a second, and a first. So they've got money and draft capital, which is not super common. 
a lot of times you're paying guys, you're not winning. That's like a GM's wet dream. Right. Like, John Elway has to just be loving this, right? Because he's got really the ability to to just make, I mean, everything that we've talked about, John Elway-esque, could go away. If he hits. If he if. hits. Okay? So, $80 million in cap, 11 draft picks. Now, anyone who thinks they're going to draft 11 and, and retain them is a fool. Um, you'll probably see some more shifting and draft pick trading going on. Uh, but kind of a couple of things that I'm looking for that Denver could do or, you know, pick picture-perfect scenarios for them. Um, as weird as it sounds, at the Combine, the Broncos showed a abnormal... How do I want to say it? An abnormal amount of interest, we'll say, in the running back position. Don't freak out, Denver. I think Philip Lindsay's probably hanging around. Well, there's been that buzz that they want to find a complimentary piece to Philip Lindsay. Correct. I think this just spells the end of Royce Freeman. Freeman. He he never panned out to be what he was touted to be. <clears throat> and I think, unfortunately... It, it messed with his confidence. And, and so when you don't run with confidence in the NFL, with the amount of running backs that we talked about earlier uh-huh. that are not only in the league currently but come year after year after year after year. Just a guy that needs a change of scenery. Now. Exactly. It's time for a change to, to hopefully kind of reboot you, right? So the Broncos are showing some, some big inch. I mean, they are talking with guys like J.K. Dobbins, and you've got – Jonathan Taylor, who's projected to be a second to third round pick. You've got Clyde Edwards-Alaire that I mentioned earlier out of LSU that could be there in the third or later. You've got a lot of big bruising type backs that could complement Philip Lindsay really well. Now, I like Philip Lindsay. I really enjoy Philip Lindsay's running style. However, I don't think that it is suitable for a three down back. I think he is a perfect change of pace back. He is a guy you bring in on third and short or, you know, a second. Not and a trying to long. give him 300 touches, you know what I mean? Right, exactly. I want him probably in that. I think he's more effective with less touches. And we saw that this year, right? He still hit the 1,000-yard rushing mark on less touches than he had last season. Yeah. You know the spark is there. You know the yards per carry is there. He's got just that gear. However, he's not a between-the-tackles guy. He's a side-to-side guy. Now, he can get vertical on the field, and he can move, and he can, you know. But do you want Philip Lindsay lowering your shoulder against Zadarius Smith? No. No. Fuck no, you don't. You want a bigger guy, a bruising back that can come in on first and second, get you close for that dump pass or that swing pass or that hitch play or something where you can bring in Philip Lindsay and have change of pace without tipping your hand that, hey, this guy only comes in to break big runs, right? I think Philip Lindsay has worked tremendously this offseason at improving his catching ability, which could actually be good for him if he can find the ability to be better out of the backfield with his hands. It'll make you even more effective if you have the right compliments next to you. So the running back thing is interesting. Now, with Denver's draft, kind of what I'm thinking is similar to what you talked about. There's so much talent in the wide receiver draft pool this year that jumping early at 15 is probably not your best bet. You should potentially look at taking your first round pick at 15, 
and maybe one of those third round picks and seeing if you could jump up five spots into the top ten. Get you a guy like Tristan Wirfs or Andrew Thomas. Get you that offensive tackle that can really help solidify the line. Right? You're losing Leary. You don't know if Jawan James is going to play. You, you gave him 63 snaps on, on $50 million. You have to bring back Garrett Bowles because, A, he's cheap and he knows the, the, the scheme. The only solid part you have on your offensive line right now was a rookie last year in Dalton Reisner. So I think that your biggest hole is on the offensive line. So send your first and a third or what have you and get yourself moved up to put yourself in position to take one of those offensive linemen. Because in the second round, we've talked about it so much, there's guys that have first-round draft talents that will, without question, be available to draft in the second round. Just like LaVisca Chennault, Colorado kid, right? He'll be there in the second round. Now, he might not be there when Denver picks, especially if you get your way with Indianapolis, but you go offensive tackle. You can go tackle. Then you go receiver. receiver. Justin Jefferson, Van Jefferson, you know. And if you can get away with that, if, if it worked out, right, you send your first and your third, you move up into the top ten, you get your tackle. Second round, you take your receiver. That leaves you with two picks in the third round. What are you doing, Billy? You're getting your complimentary running back for, for Philip Lindsay. And you're going to go get another DB. Boom. And then... Draft class costs about $12 million, I think they say, on, on average for the cap. So now you've got $67 million left to spend. I mean, however, right, free agency is preceding, so you may, may be out of that money. Let's say you go get, you know, don't I, I wouldn't take any of these available linemen currently. They're going to want too much for what you're going to get. But look at the receivers. There's If Amari Cooper is available, you go fucking pay the guy. Okay, <laughs> if he's there, you go pay the guy. If AJ Green is there, you go pay the guy because a veteran like that with Cortland Sutton is what's going to really make Cortland Sutton a superstar, and he's already trending that way fast. Exactly. But you put a veteran guy like AJ Green in that in that room with him to train him up, teach him, and to pull defenders away from him because no disrespect to Cortland Sutton, but if you put Cortland Sutton on the field and AJ Green on the other side. I promise you the double teams lean in towards AJ. Yeah. Which means great news for Cortland. So the Broncos could cataclysmically turn this organization around. And if they can get three wins more than they had last year. You'd be in the wild card spot. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the Broncos is just really intriguing in terms of what could happen for them. So who knows? I mean, I mean, we'll see, but it, it, it hurts me to say this, and I hope you can hear it in my voice. The Broncos, when the season ended, were the fourth team in their division. If John Elway plays this right, they're the second team in this division. Yeah, they're exactly where I thought they would be last year. <laughs> you were a year early, Nostradamus. Man. Yeah, I cannot hate on that at all. That's basically one one of the big things that we actually had been talking about is, you know, skipping that wide receiver. Because everybody has them hot for rugs. And it's just like, well, calm down on that. Like, there's more people 
you know, there's more bigger needs that they have. So, I mean, I, I, I'd hire you right now. <laughs> Here, let me do this because you mentioned rugs. Let me find this real quick because I had it. Hang tight. I got it close here. Where are we at? Where are we at? Where are we at? All right. Here you go. Speaking of Henry Ruggs, everyone's sold on him. He's the guy, right? He's fast, too. What was that? 427 he ran. Pretty close to another guy we had run eh, three years ago. You remember who it was? Broke the record. Mr. Oh, John, John Ross. Ross. Drafted number nine overall. First round guy. Two guys drafted in front of him. You remember who they were? Oh, it was, oh man, it's Corey Davis. It was Corey Davis. And Mike Williams. And Mike Williams. You're absolutely correct. Do you want to hear who was drafted after him and outside the first round? Let's go. Curtis Samuel, Juju Smith-Schuster, Cooper Cup, Chris Godwin, Kenny Galladay. You could throw D.D. Westbrook in there. He had a decent rookie season. I mean, and that's just from... The third round, second and third round. So, John Ross, he was fast. He's got the hands. He's the guy. Put the pads on and... He barely, like, made noise until this right. season and still. So was... why, why, why swing and miss when statistically... You have a better shot of taking a guy that falls to the second round and busts his ass because he knows he should have been a first-round guy and he fell for whatever reason. Exactly. Go get that guy. Go get your tackle. Go secure your line. Go make sure that you can run the ball. Go make sure that your new quarterback in Drew Locke is going to be protected. Don't be stupid. Yeah, I just don't want to have to watch another season of Garrett Bowles holding people. It just, obviously he's a liability. You need to address it. Well, unfortunately, we're going to have to watch another season of Garrett Bowles holding. Um, I don't know if it's going, well, I've said it before and, and I haven't, you know, there's not many people that agree with me on this, but Garrett Bowles' athleticism, to me, screams pulling guard. Yeah. You get that guy out in front of Philip Lindsay on a pole, and he's going to tear people apart, dude. He's big and he's fast. His pass blocking is really good. Really good. Partially because you can hold in pass block. But... Or his run block, excuse his me. His run block. His run block is really good because you can you can hold. You can get in tight. You can you can get a hold of the jersey. But in pass block, he's not good at all. He's mm-hmm. not good at pass. And my God, definitely not as a blindside tackle. And the fact that you roll him out week after week after week after week after week, yes, at some point becomes your fault, but there hasn't really been anyone better available. Yeah. We... Remember this time 
18 months ago when Denver Bronco fans were screaming, bring Nate Solder home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Thank you, Lucky Stars. You didn't pay $12 yep. million a year for that guy to come play left tackle here. Exactly. You might have got a little bit better play than you got out of Bulls. But when you put in the cost efficiency of what you had to pay Bulls versus what you would have had to pay Solder, you could keep him for his fifth year and it would still be worth less. Exactly. So, yeah, draft a tackle. And and the thing is, is draft a guy that's versatile. They could play tackle or guard because you may have to shift some pieces around on your line. Dolan Reisner is a great, great offensive guard. But he also plays center. And if you lose Connor McGovern and you draft a guy like Tristan Wirfs, well, then guess what? Garrett Bowles is probably your new left tack or your new left guard. Yep. Because you're not going to put Wirfs there. You're not going to put Jawan James there. I mean, there's just there's too many holes. You have to fill your line. Yeah. I, I'm. It's just amazing that the fact that. Their offensive line has not really, we've, it's not like it's been discussed this offseason, but yet when you talk to Denver fans, what's the number one thing that they always bring up? Yep. It's their offensive line. Mike Munchak was supposed to be a lifesaver. Exactly. Which, if if you really want to know how, how, you know, a team really is or a player really is, usually talk to the fans. Like, when players leave and fans are, how did you feel when Le'Veon Bell left? I was bitter. You were bitter, but was it like a... But you want to know what I was more importantly? I was fucking right. How's that trash-ass line, bitch? See, exactly. <laughs> like, if, if you're not devastated by a player leaving, or if there's a player that, you know, you know, hands down collectively, you want gone. Or if there's a position that everybody says that they need to fix, it's, pro- it's most likely true. If you usually listen to the fans, now I'm not saying like fans are... You know, the ultimate GMs. It's just, you know, fans watch their teams. Fans watch f- football based on emotion. Exactly. And so and, and they can so see they can glaring holes. They can sense it. There's a reason New York Giants fans were, there was no gray area. You loved OBJ or you hated OBJ. And when he's crying on the sidelines, the people that hated him could not wait for that guy to be gone. Exactly. Couldn't wait. And they might have been partially right because he throws a fit everywhere he goes. Yep. So, like, when you talk to Bronco fans, you you know, how do you feel about Garrett Balls? Everybody wants him gone. And the thing is, though, is, like, some, you know, some fans read the draft stuff and they see a name like Ruggs and they're like, oh, you know, the Ruggs would be cool. And then when you tell them, well, do you want Ruggs or do you want to replace Garrett Balls? And then you watch him struggle with that internal conflict. Yep. It's hilarious. Yep. Because well, they the know. Well, and that's that's just the thing. Like, yes, I personally, and I'm not the only one, but I personally think that the Broncos should go line first. But with some of these mocks that I've seen, if it falls this way and we get to 15 and CeeDee Lamb and Jerry Judy are both on the board above Ruggs too, you got Lamb, Judy, Ruggs, Mims, and they're all there at 15. I'm not going to be mad if you take a receiver. I just personally think you would get better value drafting a lineman and securing that part of your offense. Because you're going to find a receiver 
later in the draft. But if you take that receiver in the first round, and then in the second round, there's not always a Dalton Reisner in the second round, dude. There's just not. Most of the guys on the offensive line that go in the first round pay off. As to where most of the receivers drafted in the first round bust out. Exactly. And that's the thing with this draft is that it has a nice number of left tackles and tackles in general. But the thing is, it's a very top-heavy tackle draft. So you got to get your guy early or you're not getting him at all. I, I've literally get to the eighth and there's been four quarterbacks and four offensive line, the line picked. Yeah, like basically once you get to Arizona, the run can start. And... Yeah, I mean, even a team like the Chargers, if they, which they'll probably go quarter, but even a team like the Chargers still need a tackle. Yeah, like you can see this go. Hell, the Giants could go tackle if they really wanted to. If if Justin Herbert is gone before the Chargers get to pick, they're gonna take a lineman. They have receivers. They're not gonna take a guy like freaking J.K. Dobbins at. Five or six. Like, they're not going to do that. They're going to go lineman if he's gone. If Herbert's not there, they're going line. There's there's many teams that need a lineman. This that, is, that Conklin's leaving. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's a pillar position. Like, when you talk about your positions that are key and essential to building an NFL team, quarterback, of course, is one. But then the next positions are always debated about edge rusher, left tackle, shut down corner. Yep. Those are it. So if you don't have a pillar position, you know what you probably should focus on? Yep. The fucking pillar positions. Yep. It's, it's just, it's kind of simple. Yeah. I don't know, but for some reason we just need to get rugs. <laughs> gotta have him. Gotta, gotta have, have rugs. He's, he's the fastest receiver in the draft. We gotta have him. And that's just the thing. This is why you see teams like Philly, you know, doubling down and picking their left tackle of the future instead of going for the shiny new object. Why yep. don't we get settled that position first and then we can go for that. Yep. You could have had this answered last year, but instead they just decided to pick a fucking tight end. But that's just... <laughs> it's just me, I guess, you know. But we got Noah Fant! And you still don't have a left tackle. And that's just the biggest thing is I don't want to see them make this mistake again. I get it. Shiny new objects and nice, you know, playmakers on the edges and on the outside is, is really cool to have. I understand that. But your offensive line is the most important thing. Take it from me, dude. My team, we have A.J. Brown and that's it. But you know what? One of the reasons why we're so good is because we have a fucking offensive line. Yep. Sorry. It's yep. one of the reasons why Derrick Henry was so good this season. Yeah, they absolutely. Have an offensive line. When you got guys, when you have, when you have an offensive lineman that, Big uglies don't often get airtime, right? They're not on the TV. But when you have an offensive lineman that stands in front of the cameras and says, you know what, my play was so bad that I affected my team and caused them to not perform, and that's unacceptable, that is what you want on your offensive line. But when you have a guy that says, I put all my arms and legs into him and just let him trust, I have no idea what that means, sir. I need you to block that guy. Okay? (laughs) That's it. I need you to block because whatever you just said was not English, bro. That did not make any sense to me. Okay? (laughs) So. That's not it. So. uh, I got more that I could talk about on the Broncos, but I'll leave it be for a little bit. 
But I did promise you that I'd make your head spin. So, Denver Broncos going to cut bait. Joe Flacco will be gone. I've heard people say they should bring Case Keenum back. I don't buy in that. Not happening, right? Not going to work. Uh, Brett Rippon, no, not going to happen. Free agent quarterback. And what you need is a guy that can emulate multiple quarterback styles in practice for your defense. God, no. You need a guy who's semi-mobile. So that your defense can get used to these new mobile quarterbacks that's coming in on trend. And you need a guy that's coachable. Do you know who it is, Billy Moon? It's Marcus Mariota. It is Marcus Mariota. God damn you. (laughs) (laughs) It is Marcus Mariota. I think would be a really good fit for the Denver Broncos as a backup quarterback. He he understands the game of football. I'm not saying he's good at the game of football, but he understands it. He's a veteran presence, and he has the ability to run around. Because when you good when you put a guy like Case Keenum on your fucking scout team and you're playing the Chiefs. Well, you're really not prepared for anything the quarterback does because Case Keenum can't do anything that Patrick Mahomes can do. The Chiefs, the Ravens, you know, teams like the right. Ravens. The Ravens, I mean, uh, Seahawks. The Anybody Texans, with a quarterback the of Seahawks, the modern era. <laughs> I mean, Baker Mayfield likes to try and be mobile. He's not good at it, but. <laughs> right, you need, the, the evolution of the league has come. We've already, we've already talked about it. These pocket-passing pillar quarterbacks are phasing out, and these dual-threat rushing quarterbacks are phasing in. Now, I was on the Cam Newton to Denver train a lot during the season, but Carolina's already said they're working towards Cam coming back and being the starter, which I also mentioned because, oh yeah, that's right, $19 million is a lot of money to owe somebody and ship them down the road. So, you're not going to pay Teddy Bridgewater $25 million a year. Taysom Hill is going back to New Orleans, they said. As he should. As he should. Who's left as a mobile quarterback on the market that's willing to take a backup role? In come the flying Hawaiian. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. Yeah, I understand it. I, if I have, if, man, I really want him to go to Kansas City personally, which I said to you. I said that earlier in the season. Um, I feel like that's the best place for him to finally develop and to reach his full potential, and to at least become, you know, one of those tweener type quarterbacks, where like a Case Keenum or something. You know, Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think Kansas City is the best place for him. The best place for him to get back his confidence. And to be able to see what Patrick Mahomes does and to work with Andy Reid would be able to help his development. But from your case-making standpoint, it makes it makes sense. Yeah. I can't hate on it. I just don't want to see it, and I don't want Marcus Mariota that much more in my life anymore. Right. I've had my feel of him, and if he is just like not in my local news or constantly being chattered about... I would be much happier. This man has caused me a lot of frustration. <laughs> and I would like to just get over it. Let's this, make it a clean break. This is a career that I have followed 
very closely since he was in college. And right now, at this point, I just I just need him to just go away. Blow away. So what you're telling me is that you think the AFC West is going to have two Oregon quarterback busts in the league next year? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Couldn't help it. I'm sorry, Justin. I think you'll be a just fine backup, sir. <laughs> I can't even. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. Poor fucking Justin. <laughs> Poor kid hasn't even played a damn snap in the league. I'm already calling him a bust. Ripping into him. Poor guy. Alright, well, speaking of Justin Herbert, we're going to go ahead and uh, wrap this thing up tonight. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this uh, kind of new format that we tried. Uh, let us know. You know, we, we, we enjoy the uh, confirmation, the banter back and forth on all the social media sites. Reach out to us. Um, we're going to try and bring back some uh, some questions again as well. Uh, just trying to fill some space for you guys in the off season here. Kind of want to answer the questions you have uh, around the league. Uh, in terms of moving forward, though, uh, next week, Billy and I are going to come back at you. Uh, we're going to have some fun stuff for you. We're going to talk some free agency uh, we're going to talk franchise tag. Uh, all the tags have to be in by the 14th of March. Uh, so we're going to kind of talk about who we think is going to be tagged and how that's going to affect free agency moving forward. Um, going to be a lot of fun stuff next week, but some of the most fun stuff that we're going to be talking about, um, Mr. Billy's going to let you guys know, uh, something crazy, uh, that he thinks is going to happen. Uh, and that's, uh, going to be who is going to trade up. Uh, to number three with Detroit and uh, and take Mr. Justin Herbert, whom uh, we just talked about uh, more on the uh, overdrafting and uh, freaking out of uh, quarterbacks being drafted. So uh, be interesting to, uh, to see what Billy's got for you there. Uh, and then I'm going to hit you guys uh, with similar line step of that. Um, what is going to happen with Chase Young in all of this? Um, and where he is going to probably end up falling on this draft board. So, uh, again, hope you guys really enjoyed. Can't wait to come back with some more content for you guys. Uh, we're going to start getting active on the social sites again. So uh, we'll, we'll be back with you guys uh, shortly. Uh, until then, thanks so much. We'll talk to you. Peace.